Welcome back to the Weighing In Podcast presented by Track Wrestling. I'm your host, Alex Steen, episode 105. And as always, we have David Miracatani on the line. David, how are you? How you doing, my brother? Everything good? Oh, it's good. College wrestling is back and we had an action-packed weekend. It's all good. Yeah. It's nice to be back to the, to the grind. And um, as much as we love freestyle and, and Greco and everything else, it's uh I think when most people think about the season, this is what we really think about. Absolutely. I mean, yes, I love freestyle and Greco and the you know, world championships were spectacular. I love the age group battles, you know, the whole qualifying process is a lot of fun, but you know, last weekend with the open tournaments and the duels, we had about as many matches as you get in three, three months of the freestyle season and especially relevant matches. So uh, a lot of fun for me and I'm sure you enjoyed it as well. For sure, man. You know, and, you know, I think one of the things that people don't understand is, uh, you know, and, and I'll just speak for me, but I know you did a fantastic job doing the rankings in your previous life. It is really hard to, you know, get all the data. It is difficult. We do the best we can, but if, you know, people feel like there's something that's missed, certainly want them to, you know, they can just email track wrestling and, and I'll definitely get that. And, uh, you know, we're at Demericatani on Twitter and, uh, you know, we want to do the best we can, but it's a lot. I mean, and you've done this and you just literally pour over the notes. There's no, there's no real shortcut around it. You just, you got to figure it out and get it done. Yeah. I always found the hardest part, especially early in the season like this was how far do you move a guy when he loses or how far do you move a guy up that wins? Because, you know, you know, last season what they were and guys are going to get upset and things are going to happen. You know, do you move that guy that beat the number five guy in the country to, above him? You know, how far up can they move and all that stuff? It's You kind of want to make incremental moves, but at the same time, it's like this is a new season. Maybe he is that good. So that's always fun to consider, and I don't think there's ever a right answer there. It is certainly a balancing act. I think what I would tell people in general, because um, this is what I've told guys that are friends of mine, is – that the closer you are, like in other words, week one to the previous season, the more weight that previous season carries. The further you get away from that, the the less credence that has. And then your your point is well taken. Like if you know you're ranked fourth and I'm ranked seventeenth and I beat you, I mean I don't probably jump to four. You probably don't drop to eighteen. Uh, you know we meet somewhere in the middle. So. And then, you know, like, let's say, even if it's especially like you were, you were tech calling me and I reach back and headlock you and pin you, um, you know, we, we try to rank as if it was a seating meeting. So that would count. But then when you win your next 15 matches and I go eight and seven, you know, then we can sort of disregard that as the one-off that it probably was. So those are probably, I wouldn't say hard and fast rules, but um, maybe some parameters we work by to maybe give people an idea of how that how that goes yeah you know i mean i think as the season goes along other problems present themselves but that after that first weekend that's that's what you're dealing with and uh you know i've often said there's no no one right answer for rankings there are just some wrong answers and so as long as you didn't get one of those you're in good shape yeah for sure so i guess how we're going to do this uh this is our first well, my first, you've been here forever. Um, my first podcast <laughs> during the season. Um, so what we're going to try to do, we're going to go through uh, the rankings at each weight class, starting with 125 pounds, just to kind of highlight some of the happenings in each weight class, give it kind of a a way to work through without going all over the place. Cause obviously you can, with all the results this weekend and all the happenings, I mean, we had the all-star duel, we had a couple of good duels, we had some open tournaments with stuff going on uh yeah, just a lot of different things to cover you know even we still had some wrestle off since the last time we did this um so we're gonna go weight by weight to give it some structure and see how that goes um starting at 125 you know i think the biggest news at 125 was who didn't wrestle at this weight <laughs> over the weekend and we'll get to that at 133 a little bit uh, probably the one of the bigger wins of the weekend was Rayvon Foley beating Drew Matten, although he's now beaten him three out of four in college. So it wasn't really a surprise, but by the rankings, that was an upset. Um, what was interesting to you about this weight, David? Colby Smith making 125 already. Yeah. 
I think that to me, you know, I, I know Colby, I know his high school coach. He, he, I coached him in an all-star team here in St. Louis. He, he lives in a suburb or did live in a suburb, you know, probably about a half an hour from downtown St. Louis, about half an hour from where I live. Super nice kid, hammer, but just a big human being to be making 125. And the rumor I heard was they were, you know, going to put him on the Sean Foss plan and try to have him make weight you know, the least amount of time to get his number of D1 matches. And instead, you know, and, you know, this, I guess it's tied to Missouri, but Colby Smith makes 125 right away. Zach Elam comes out of red shirt right away. Um, but, yeah, that, and also Pat Glory at Princeton Open, and we knew he would wrestle because they don't red shirt guys there. But dominating and winning, I think, uh, you know, he popped into the very bottom of our rankings and uh, with a chance to move his way up. And then the Foley thing. Those are probably the three highlights that stuck out to me along with um, we had to bump Suriano up to 33 in the rankings. So there's a lot of guys that, you know, pretty much everybody with uh, gross and Misich dropped one spot at least, you know, based on that. So those, I, to me, those were kind of the headlines at, at 25. Yeah. Glory really looked good. Uh, a lot of bonus points on his way to a win. Um, and that bracket wasn't devoid of proven talent either. So that was a solid victory. Um, another guy in that bracket was Nick Aguiar from uh, Rutgers. He's the guy that will probably end up at 125 for them now that Suriano's up at 33, although he is a true freshman, so he could redshirt still. Um, he finished fourth. So that was a really interesting bracket to watch the Michigan State Open or Princeton Open, I'm sorry. And, you know, I, I, I kind of like those. Uh, Ivy guys because like you said we know they're going if they're good enough to wrestle they're going to wrestle and there's no decision to make so we know right off the bat we're going to watch Pat Glory all year and that's going to be fun to watch for sure and that, it just keeps it simpler I mean for ranking purposes which obviously those schools don't and should not care about but for us it makes it a lot easier right moving up to 133 we mentioned it a little bit Nick Suriano wrestled 133 in the wrestle-offs and then over the weekend and Dayton Fix also wrestled at 133 pounds at the Oklahoma City Open. Um, so that answers that question for now. Um, Nick Piccinini was at 125 for Oklahoma State. So that seems to be the lineup. Um, we'll see. It, it's possible they could still move, but it seems unlikely now. I mean, if you're going to start the year that way, uh, seems like the right way to go, right? I think the only way it wouldn't go that way I mean, Fix is going to wrestle Lee Zach and Gross here in the net in this this month. And you know, assuming everybody makes weight and in, no injuries and all that stuff. And I think those two guys present a unique challenge to him because they're both so good on top, right? And they're both long. And as good as Dayton is, he's not your typical uh, Oklahoma State guy where, with a million leg attacks. He's a lot of snaps, go behind, things like that. And because he's not a high-volume leg attacker, you know, those guys, if they can keep that match 0-0, which is definitely saying something, but if they can, I think that the betting odds would go to those guys if it wasn't already in their favor because, you know, now either Dayton has to get away or he picks neutral and has to get a takedown. So, you know, those guys are kind of like Spencer Lee where even if, you're, if you take them down twice, they just pick top. And now you have to get away. So – if if Dayton struggles there, I, I'm not sure they you know, I don't know what would happen, but if he wins one of those two matches or is highly competitive in those matches and feels like that's that's where they'll stay. So, you know, other than that, uh Cam Sakura had a good win over Colin Valdivias. Uh Corbin Myers did not have a good Virginia Tech or Hokey Open and you know, took fifth there. And then Brian Lantry was up at one forty one. We'll talk about him in a minute, but he moves out of the rankings uh, at 33 to move up into the rankings of 41. Yeah, and I, I'll add to that, um, Zach Sherman from North Carolina looked good. Um, he's trying to hold off Gary Wayne Harding in that lineup battle for North Carolina, and he looked like he's not going to give up that spot easily. He looked solid. And Noah Gonzer um, is at Campbell now. He's an Eastern Mich Michigan refugee, so of course we're all rooting for those guys, and he looked solid over the weekend as well. Uh, that was good to see. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move up to 141 pounds. Um, this, 
was the first wait for the All-Star Classic on Friday night, uh, which ended up with only five matches. Um, you know, you mentioned Seth Gross and Dayton Fix meeting in a duel soon, but um, the Seth Gross-Tariq Wilson match did not happen at the All-Star Classic. Uh, that was a scratch late. So there were only five men's folk style matches and five women's freestyle matches at the All-Star, which was a little bit odd. Um, but Joey McKenna was the 141-pound match winner over Cade Brock, 11-4. to It was a pretty competitive match early, um, featured a hands-to-the-face penalty that we'll get to. And then McKenna kind of blew it open in the second period with a four-point turn. Cade Brock's struggles on bottom uh, continue, and it was an, eventually an 11-4 win. Uh, what did you think of that match, and what else did you see at 141 pounds, David? Well, I, I think Cade Brock reminds me of Micah Jordan, right? Like, they might be the best guy or the most exciting guys on their feet at those weight classes. But, you know, I heard somebody say, well, Cade Brock's going to go up, and it's going to help him get better on bottom. And I, I don't know if that person who said that understood wrestling very well or had wrestled in a long time, but that's generally not the case. So, um, you know, the struggles on bottom are real for him. If they can figure, If he can figure it out, you know, I think he's as good on his feet as, you know, the guys ranked ahead of him, Yanni, Joey, Jaden Ironman, Nick Lee, and the guys behind him, Chad Reds, Darren Perry, Michael Carr. So I, but, you know, he, he can't be a title contender if he, if he can't get out. I mean, it's just that simple because now you have to be two takedowns better than everybody else. Um, Jaden Ironman and Mikey Carr had an unbelievable match. Uh, I had a chance to visit with the Illinois coaching staff. They're super high on Michael Carr. They said he's the hardest working guy they've had in a long time. And they've had some hammers in there and they feel like he had that match and just let off the gas pedal with the lead instead of just, you know, wrestling the, the last half of the match, like he did the first half of the match. Uh, that Real Woods had a real good tournament. Uh, and uh, Brian Lantry, like we said, moved up and uh, Tristan Moran kind of had an interesting weekend where he lost to Lantry, but then beat Josh Alber. So, it made him a little difficult to rank, but he's a good kid. I, I know him real well. And, uh, you know, just happy for him. If you, you, a lot of these kids, if you know them at all, just want to get a chance to compete. So I'm happy he got a chance to do that. Yeah, I mean, you'll have to excuse me. I'm I'm busy hacking in and deleting our archives so that no one can prove that I ever said that about Cade Brock. Um, what did you say about Cade Brock? <laughs> I, I, I thought his, his gas tank would be better. Um, at 41, and I thought that might help him a little bit on bottom, but obviously that was not the case. It's just it's size, man. If you don't know how to get out, wrestling heavier ain't going to help you with that, and you know that. I know you're probably playing. Like, this size is size. It's tough. You no. know, I mean, that, that's a real struggle. I've seen some guys that were concerned about gassing, so they didn't get away because they didn't want to work so hard at it that they would gas, especially second period types. Uh, but okay. yeah, not his, you know, at least in this match, it was not the issue. Um, he took, he took down, which is another thing. Um, you know, I mean, obviously it's in November, so you want to see if you can do it, but he's taken down against, you know, Seth Gross, the national tournament and other times, it just seems like at some point you got to figure out, you know, I got to win these matches on my feet. Um, so we'll see if he does that later in the year or not. But Oklahoma State does that. They pick they do. down all year. They do. I want Yelagayoff do that against Brent Haynes. They don't care about winning those matches until nationals. Like, the, they know they might lose because of that. But what they want to do is they might lose the battle, but they're trying to win the war. And that's, that's their philosophy. Clearly, they've had a lot of success with it. So – um, you know, that's consistent for them. Yeah. And I, I generally agree to do that at this time of year. Like that makes sense. It's, you know, it's all practice until March. Right. But, you know, he, he took bottom against Seth Gross at that, at the national tournament. So I, I don't know what that's about. It, it will haunt me till my dying days. I, I'm still, I, I had a talk with the coaching staff about that. And the answer was not something that like, I just was a little surprised. I was like, you know, the, the one position your guy's best at, and you, you theoretically you get to start there two out of three periods, and really, if you're willing to give up one point, all three periods. Right. Like that That's where you should be wrestling the match from. So, yeah. 
Yeah, interesting for sure. Right. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Real Woods. Good for him in Stanford. Um, he won a title. Uh, he's going to be tough out there. They've, they've got an interesting lineup. Um, the Pac-12 is getting tougher again, which is good to see. Um, Nick Gill had a heck of a match with Joey McKenna, who, I mean, props to Joey McKenna for wrestling at the All-Star Duel and then flying back and um, going in the duel over the weekend. He didn't have to do that. I mean, he's a veteran. If he said he didn't want to do that, he I'm sure no one would have made him, but he was there and got a, t- got a good challenge from Nick Gill of Navy, who we've seen before have some success. So that was a good match too. Um, and there is some question if Mason Smith is going to wrestle for Arizona state this year. So keep an eye on that situation. Um, we'll see how that goes. Um, that's all I have for now. Um, okay. You have anything else at 141? No, I, I think, uh, I think that's an interesting weight, right? Like there's a lot of things that could shake out there. Like if a Mikey Carr can go that well with Ironman, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he matches up with the rest of those guys. Cause Ironman wrestles very differently than, you know, almost everybody at that weight versus a lot of guys in the country. So I think that's a really good point because when you look at the top of this weight, there are guys in the top five, really maybe six or seven that, I can see him beating one or two of the top three, but not another one. And it's going to be heavily dependent on matchups. I mean, Ironman, I thought, looked a little bit like he went too defensive and relied on his funk a little too much in that match against Carr, and it almost cost him. Um, Joey McKenna does not wrestle like that. He wrestles a completely different style. So it's it's going to be right. interesting to see. You're, you're right. And we, watch, and we watch McKenna kind of just fundamental Jader and Ironman to death in, in freestyle, right? Right. Like, to make final acts, like just one pointers, one pointers, stay out of the scrambles, stay out of the, you know, the chest locks and the crotch throws and just, you know, control the center of the match, shoot guys off, things like that. Yeah. And one last note on 141, Iowa had their rest lost. Max Murren was the 141 pound victor there over Vince Turk, five to four. Um, obviously, with that score, I doubt anything is completely settled there. Um, probably will go through the Midlands, but Murren gets the first, draws first blood there. Yeah. Moving up to 149. I'm looking at my notes. Another one of those Ivy League guys uh, that wrestles right away, Evan Witt, or not Evan Witt, that's the wrong line. Anthony Artelona won the MSU Open for Penn. Uh, at 149 pounds, that's a good start for him. And uh, Brock Mahler from Missouri, who's currently backing up Grant Leith, uh had nice wins over Cole Martin and Jarrett Deegan to win the Harold Nichols Open. Uh, David, what did you see at 149? Brock Mahler. That's like, I know that kid. He's from here. He's from the same high school as, as Ironman. Uh, he actually wrestled in Battle for Missouri in March. An awesome family. Um, and he's a kid, he wrestled like 52 or 60 because he's in small schools here. So, like, it, you know, really didn't matter. He was just pinning dudes in the first period. Uh, Missouri's going to have a good problem next year because they, they've got Mahler at 49. They've got Leith at 49. And they recruited Mahler's high school teammate, Jared Jacques, uh, as a 57-pounder. And then they still have Connor Flynn at 65. So, I think – Jack Hughes or Mahler, one of them's going to probably go to 57 next year. One of them will have to sit a year, but Brock Mahler's legit. I mean, he didn't just beat Jared Deegan. He whipped him. Uh, Artelone is another guy that we knew about. I mean, Brock Mahler would be ranked right now if he was the starter. Like, he's done enough to get ranked for sure. Right. So, um, you know, Artelona got himself ranked at the bottom of our rankings this week. So, I mean, that's significant. And then we also have notes here about um, Fine Silver beating O'Connor. O'Connor beats Sobostowski, and then Fine Silver also beat Ryan Blees. Not a lot of those were upsets, but just good to see some guys sort of getting, you know, guys hitting each other early in the year. So, yeah, I, I mean, the Austin O'Connor beating Matt Zavostowski, that's kind of a nice win for him. Um, Obviously, I'm sure he wishes he would have finished to win the tournament, but Fine Silver is a solid opponent, so that's not a bad loss at all. Um, one other result I noticed: uh, Henry Polmeyer from South Dakota State beat Tommy Thorne. Uh, looked like a stalling point at the buzzer. There was some controversy there, but he got the win. Um, a little concerning for Thorne, who didn't have the best year last year. 
Um, going up a weight, hope to see kind of a rejuvenation for him, but that's obviously not the start he wanted. But then again, very close match, so you never know about that kind of stuff. It happens from time to time. Be interesting to see how he does going forward. Yeah, for sure. Moving up to 157 pounds, um, maybe the most interesting thing about 157 pounds right now is the battle in Michigan. Um, I mean, granted, Alec Fantelio, the returning All-American, the senior, likely is going to keep his spot. But uh, Will Lewin has now beaten him twice, once in rest loss and once to win the MSU Open over the weekend. Uh, what do you make of that, David? Well, I've always kind of been a guy that doesn't put a lot into wrestle-offs or teammates. Because, like, if you're better than me, every day we wrestle, it probably benefits me more than you because I can figure out how to shut you down. It's harder for you to get, you know, significant. If you're already six points better, it's a lot easier for me to close that gap to two than it is for you to extend the gap to ten. But what's interesting here is if, if Luan would go 57, Fantavio is certified at 49. And Michigan's probably one of the only schools that really can break into that top four this year. I mean, if they do that, they'd probably pull Mason Paris, who will get to it heavyweight, and, you know, really make a run at it. But if you if you ranked, you know, you're a guy that's done a lot of rankings, Pantaleo would probably be ranked number two. He'd have to be ranked above Micah Jordan. So, I mean, he immediately becomes – you know, he goes from being ranked four to two, which is a bump of three and a half points. And then if you think, you know, Luan can even take seven, that's another six and a half. That's a 10 point bump for them. Plus, you know, a guy wrestling, two guys wrestling deep in the tournament, chance for more bonus. I mean, so I think that's significant. Uh, Mike D'Angelo from Princeton. We've talked about Princeton at a couple weights now. Good wins, beat Larry Early and beat Luke Wyland. And then uh, Alex Smythe, the guy that we talked about this summer from Buffalo, was like 13 and 11 a year ago, career record, like two matches over 500, uh, beat Xander Wick in the dual meet. So he'll, he'll come into the rankings this week at the bottom. But definitely a guy difficult to rank if you rank him on his, you know, his, his performance this summer. He probably would have started higher. But if you look at just his folk style body of work up till now, he still wouldn't be ranked. So we kind of just tried to split the middle and, and be fair with that. Yeah, I think the Wicks are going to be putting out a bounty on Alex Smythe after he beat Evan in the U23s this summer, and then he completes the, the double beating Xander over the weekend. But, yeah, he's a guy – you know, we see it every – it seems like every year, but I'm sure it's every year or two, where a guy that kind of his whole career has been – I mean, I, I hate to call any of these guys, you know, mediocre or anything else, but just not, you know, one of the top guys. And then suddenly something clicks and they make a big leap. I mean, we saw it with Troy Heilman last year was the kind of the ultimate example, um, jumped up into the All-American um, spots all year long and held it and, and finished up being an All-American. So we'll see if Smythe's one of those guys this year, but obviously off to a great start. Um, Caleb Young at Iowa won the wrestle-offs, so – um, he's the guy I think most of us expected that. Um, and then, yeah, you know, circling back to Pantaleo, you know, he's talked a lot about how he doesn't cut a lot of weight. So it doesn't really surprise me that he certified at 149. It'd be really interesting to see if he goes there. Um, obviously, it makes their lineup stronger. But, you know, it's good to, to your point about, um, you know, teammate versus teammate stuff. You know, Will Lewin won, I think, three overtime matches. I think the uh, win over Pantaleo was the third. Uh, so that's good in that he's winning those close matches and he's winning them all. But at the same time, you kind of have to wonder how good he really is. Maybe he has Pantaleo figured out, you know, is he a top eight guy or not? Definitely could be, especially by the end of the year. Um, but they're going to have to do a lot of thinking before they bring him out. Yeah. And I think the other thing is too, is, is what, where does that get you? Right. Right. Like, does does it get you to a spot? I mean, I, I don't know. I know there's team trophies for four, but to me, there's very like you know if you say you're a top for recruiting purposes, you're a top five team. Like, I know like there's a big difference between being tenth and eleventh, so you can say you're a top ten team or 
20th and 21st, that kind of thing, when you're recruiting. Uh, I was talking to a coach today about recruiting and, you know, recruiting classes and, you know, everybody thinks they got the right guys, but there is value to being ranked that way. So, I mean, if they do that, though, I, I guess theoretically they're independent decisions, but it sure feels like if they pull him, they pull Paris, right? I mean, we'll get to Paris's results, but it sure feels like it's sort of a double or nothing thing. Yeah, I mean, I agree. going to go all in as a team, right? Yes, that, that's exactly it. I mean, you talk about what does it get you. I mean, if you just make that one move and bump up maybe 10 points, you might get fourth, which they got last year. Um, you know, it wouldn't be a historic result for Michigan or anything like that. They've been second before. Um, so I think if you think you can get up there and challenge for a top three finish, maybe – yeah, I mean, nobody's catching Penn State this year, but at the same time, I don't think you can only make decisions based on national titles, um, especially if you're a program like Michigan that hasn't won one. Um, so if you it does, it does probably give them the best shot of being the number five team, though, and to be able to say we've been a top five team two years in a row, and the only guy we graduate would be Malik Malikamine, who wouldn't in this scenario be starting. And Pantaleo, when you have Joey Silva and a bunch of these other guys like in the in, waiting in the wings, and you're bringing in a McHenry, and you're bringing in these other guys, like that's momentum. And kids want to guys want to be on good teams, right? Like you know, guys guys want to be on like well, I mean, not a lot of guys go well. I want to go to a team that's not very good, and I have so much confidence, I'm gonna make them good, and. You know, you can people can disagree with that, or but it's right because if it weren't true, if I was wrong, recruits would be getting spread out all over the country, and that's not happening. Right. Yeah. So, it really depends on what they see down the road. If they think that two or three years from now they can really be, you know, challenging for a national title, maybe you stick Lewin and Paris in redshirt and save them for another year. Um, but if you think, you know, you can be second this year and still in two or three years challenge with, and you don't need that extra year, you think you're going to, you know, build your recruiting momentum really right now, um, then yeah, you go all in. So it'll be really interesting to see what they do. Uh, it's interesting that that's um, the first year for this head coach and all of a sudden he's thrust right into it. Now he's been around forever, so it's not like he's, you know, new to the to this sort of decision but it's interesting sean ain't sean ain't new to anything in wrestling. No. let's get to, let's, <laughs> you know i think people know that but that dude's been around the block yeah um you know yeah so he's been around i'm yeah. sure he'll make the right decision but he's he's and it's a good problem to have you know having talented true freshmen that can go right away and having to make that decision that's a good problem Sean knows better than anybody whether Will Luan's ready to go or whether Will Luan has Alec Pantaleo's number. Right. And that's really what this comes down to, right? Like, if you know the answer to that question, then the decision is remarkably simple. Yep, that's true. And, you know, we've seen more and more guys taking red shirts after their true freshman year, you know, wrestling right away and then taking one later when they get banged up or, you know, when it makes yeah. sense. So maybe we see them. That would be interesting. Um, For sure. Moving up to 165 pounds, uh, Evan Wick beat Bryce Steyer at 3-2 to two, um, in the finals of their tournament. That was a good battle, and I think it really – it was probably a good thing for both guys, obviously Wick to get the win, but Steyer also to challenge one of the top guys at the weight. Um, that's a good sign for both. Uh, what else stuck out to you at 165 pounds? Well, I, I mean, it, it was a weight with not a lot of movement this week, you know. Um, Chandler Rogers weighed in at 165.9. Uh, you know, I talked to Andy Hamilton today about what to do with the rankings with Oklahoma State, whether to rank Chandler 65, Jacoby 74, Joe 84, or Joe at 65 and bump those guys up. And we left it the way I had it. Um, there really wasn't, you know, but uh, you don't know. Like it's interesting how this team is not set. Uh, just like like Ohio State's not set at 125 and 285. So um, you know, but I think Chandler Rogers wants to wrestle 165. 
And, you know, I'll be interested to see how, you know, if they have a Russell off or how they do that. You know, again, if you're like me and you don't believe in Russell offs, you kind of look at, you know, common results and things like that. I would imagine a tournament like the scuffle would have a lot to do with that. So, um, but yeah, that, that was really the main thing. And then Joey Gunther transferred to Illinois and got a win against Connor Flynn. So, uh, you know, he, I had him ranked at 74, so he moves up, you know, in the rankings at 65. But that's really it. It was kind of a kind of a slow wait this week. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting that Rogers was wrestling 174, but weighed in so close to 165. Um, that was kind of surprising to me when I saw him initially at 174. I thought um, that was a signal that he was going to wrestle off with Jacoby, but um, apparently not. So I think he just missed weight. Yeah, that's entirely possible. So that's I mean, just miss weight, <laughs> you know, and that OCU, OCU open, the, the open division's gotten super thin. I mean, it's a great freshman top sophomore tournament. We used to wrestle in it. I mean, there's, cause you have all the JUCOs from around there in the, the NEI schools, but the open division is super shallow. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, that was definitely, I mean, as you can note, really the only things we're talking about from that was who wrestled at what weight class because there wasn't a lot of competition there. So right. I thought that was really interesting overall, um, how many of these, you know, opens, some of them are very competitive. Um, MSU Open had some really good weights. The Princeton Open had a couple of really good weights. And then there's some others that are really not competitive. Um, and it's it's interesting to see, you know, each school what they pick because you know most of them are the same year to year i mean yeah the ocu opens a little thinner than it has been um, but it's not been competitive for several years now for an oklahoma state type of team Um, so it's interesting to see how the coaches structure their schedule do you want kind of a dress rehearsal to start or do you want to throw your guys in the fire right away i think most people want somewhere in between right like the dress rehearsal does nobody any good especially if you're not getting matches that even count towards your D1 certification. And then other guys are like, well, we're not necessarily going to throw them, you know, right into everything. But, you know, where, hey, like maybe the first – if your kids are really good, your first round is not – you know, first couple rounds are not awful. But when you get to the quarter semis, finals, you get good matches. So, um, I mean, it was totally different for us in junior college. Like we loved going to those kind of tournaments because – the best way to get your guys recruited is to let them wrestle against the D1 guys and either win, you know, pull off an upset or be super competitive or at least show things, you know, like, you know, show talent, like win a scramble, you know, get a lead and then, you know, maybe kind of, you know, choke on it a little bit, but at least, you know, show these guys because every coach in the world thinks they're better than your last coach. So they think, well, if we get them over here, then, you know, we can make them better. So, (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And we, I remember, of course, I wrestled low-level NAIA, but, you know, we'd go to early season tournaments and catch a D1 school there now and again, and that was always, that was always fun. Um, even if you got hammered, it was interesting to just test yourself against guys like that, um, you know, guys that you watch on TV um, even back then. So always fun for that. But, yeah, you want at least to test your guys a little bit at some point, I would think. Yeah. Right. But I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the happy medium, but you also saw a lot of schools that sat certain guys out. They didn't even wrestle. Right. You know? So, I mean, I I think we've gotten away from the idea you have to wrestle 50, 60 matches, which is the opposite direction of where it's going in high school, where these kids are wrestling a, a million matches. Yeah. You know? So it's interesting. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I think a lot of the elite high school kids, especially during the season, don't even get tested uh, because, you know, they're so good. Um, and unless you're in a an area with some of the elite competition, you're really only getting tested in the preseason events like Super 32, and then after the season in the national events. But um, but yeah, it's it's weird to see guys you know, going 60 and 0. There's some interesting older, especially out in California. They those guys in college used to wrestle tons of matches, and now they don't. Um, I think that's a good thing overall. I think there's a thing such such a thing as too much competition. Um, in wrestling, we, we see these guys get so beat up, but uh, it is interesting to see how that swing in different ways at different levels. That's a great point. Sean Bournemouth came on my uh, podcast about a year and a half ago, and he talked about how 
you know, it's almost like, like a running back, right? There's only, you can only take so many hits or ligaments and stuff can only take so much uh, intensity, so much damage. And you know how wrestling a million matches a lot of times is counterproductive. And you you sort of have to make a decision. Do you want to be the best wrestler from eight to 18? Or do you want to be the best wrestler from, you know, 18 to 28? So, and that's why you see, like, that's why the best 10 year olds are usually not the best guys in college. You know, people, they get burned out, people pass them, strength becomes less important, technique becomes more important, things like that. Yeah, I mean, and in wrestling especially, and it's like this in all sports, but, you know, we have, there's certain injuries, especially shoulder injuries, some knee injuries. If you get one in wrestling, you're never going to be the same. And you can get them at any time. So that, again, every time you step on the mat, yeah, you may be, you know, the vastly superior guy, you're still taking that risk. And it, you get that risk in practice too, um, but it's different. Um, so it's it's interesting to watch that. And yeah, I think your point about when do you want to be the best is well taken. And I hope parents and coaches are all thinking about that because if you want to win a world title and Olympic title someday, maybe the 12 year old national championships, isn't that important. I think the 12 year old championship is usually more important to the parent than it is to kid. Yeah. And I think that that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah. We could go on and on for that. We'll get to that in the off season. We got enough to talk to that. Guy. Yeah. Okay, moving up to 174 pounds. Um, yeah, the initial read that I had was when Chandler Rogers went 174. That was weird, but we talked about that. Um, what did you see at 174 pounds? I don't think I have any notes in this one. Really, the weird one was Ben Harvey lost to Chase Gallick, who's you know not the Lehigh starter because we have you know Jordan Cutler ranked there. That was kind of it. Johnny Sebastian had a good win over Lorenzo De La Riva, and. Uh, Britt Wilson, uh, Mexico, Missouri kid, who, who I know his coaches used to wrestle for us. He had a good win over Drew Hughes from Michigan State. But really, and Miles Amin beat Jacoby Smith in the All-Star meet, but that's, you know, number three beat number eight. So that's, you know, that's not an upset or really shocking. Yeah, it was just surprising the margin to, I think, a little bit. Um, it was 11 to 2. Uh, really impressive for Miles Amin. And I know they're really high on him up there as a, Title contender, I think most of us nationally have a hard time seeing him jumping Mark Holland, uh, Zahid Valencia, but, you know, he's proven us wrong before. He finished, you know, in the top four as a nine seed and then ran it back last year and did great. Um, doesn't have to go far to be a national title contender, so be interesting to see that. Um, I'll mention – He's a guy that could beat one of those guys just because he's had a chance to wrestle them so many times. Right. Yeah, you know he sees them. You know they duel Arizona State, they duel Penn State. He sees usually one of them. Usually sees the he that Ed Cliff Keen. It's tough to beat a guy that good that many times. So you know that there's something to that. Yeah, no, that no question. And he saw him, you know, multiple times last year. And so you never know. And obviously, majoring Jacoby Smith is an excellent start to the season. So we'll see where he goes from there. Uh, yeah. Other than that. Um, I know Tashawn Campbell, <laughs> we were hoping that he would have a little bit better gas tank up a weight, maybe not cutting as much. Um, it's early in the season, but early returns are that he's still going to struggle to finish matches. Looked really good early, um, but struggled late in their duel. Uh, you know, that's one of those things. Some guys, it's not a work thing. It's just a physiological thing. So um, I don't know what he was like in high school, but seems like he's going to have to beat guys early. Yeah, and that's a bad strategy, right? Like <laughs> it's hard. If you, if you know you have to beat me early and I know you have to beat me early, you better get after it cuz I can just chill out. Right. You know, and they can just hand fight and then just wait for you, you know, to go on the tank. Yeah, it's it's not ideal. Um we'll see where that's that... kind. That's kind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Moving up to 184 pounds, um, let's say Taylor Venz beat Max Dean at the All-Star, 10-5, to uh, good win for Taylor Venz. You know, he started the year very strong last year, so it's no surprise um, that he's quick out of the gates. I think that's the, really the only note I had. What did you see at 184? Chip Ness lost to Hunter Bolin. Mm, that's and great. 
and that's significant because as good as Hunter Bowen is, he's a backup to Zach Savatsky. So that was, you know, that made it tough. I actually didn't drop him in the rankings, but this is, that was tough because I couldn't drop, I felt like I couldn't drop him below Max Dean because their last real match was in college for seventh place and Ness beat him head to head. I think it just shortens the leash for Ness. And if he had another loss, he would probably, it's like a double or nothing kind of thing. And then Cameron Caffey had a good win. He's a guy from Southern Illinois, right across the river here, watched him wrestle, coached against him in an all-star meet. And he was like a one-time state champ. So a lot of people didn't know about him. He's a hammer. He's in Michigan state. And he just beat uh, Kane McCallum who had transferred OU from Eastern Michigan at the Michigan state open. Kathy and Rayvon Foley wrestled in every freaking summer tournament they could find and, and did well, you know, wrestle freestyle, wrestle Greco, just wrestled, wrestled, wrestled. And I think they're going to see the, the fruits of their labor, uh, you know, come through this year, but I mean, he'll be in our week two or I guess our week one non preseason rankings. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Cam Caffey. I remember, uh, I think it was two years ago. He was down here in Tulsa for the, uh, for the freestyle junior duels. And, you know, of course, Team Illinois is stacked and loaded, and I'm watching them because they've, they've got a ton of guys that you know. And I, Cam Caffey was on that team, and I didn't really know that much about him. You know, I, I was mostly following college still, um, even though I would go to the high school events in the summertime. Uh, but just watching him, you could tell there was something about him. You know, he had all kinds of talent. He was really good. You know, he stuck out on that team, which had all kinds of really good wrestlers on it. Um, as a guy that you wanted to keep your eye on, you know, sometimes you see those guys and you never see them again. Obviously we're seeing that he's going to take the next step. Uh, he looked great. Uh, yeah. He's going to be really impressive and it's good to see him doing well. Uh, I think the other note here is that cash Wilkie at Iowa really dealt with Bowman pretty easily considering in the rest loss. Um, I, I kind of expected that, you know, Wilkie's been, up at 197 because he's had to be uh, last couple of seasons. But now that he's at 184, I expect a lot out of him. And he looked the part uh, because Bowman is no slouch at all. For sure. Yeah. Moving up to 197 pounds. Uh, there was no all-star match at this weight. David, what did you see? Patrick Brucky beat Nathan Traxler. So that was 11 beating nine. So that was, you know, somewhat significant. Probably the more significant one was Eric Schultz lost to Sloan from South Dakota State, like either 11 or 13 to four. So that was, um, that was, I don't want to say shocking, but certainly surprising. Well, so he dropped from 10 to 22 in our rankings, which it just felt like, I mean, he was around a 16 guy that was up at 10 just because of the mass exodus on the weight last year. So, He's going to have to work his way back up. And then uh, Jake Woodley beat Jackson Strigow. And that's, uh, even there was like number 23 and 25. Strigow was a backup last year. Woodley, kind of a really hard guy to rank. You know, he he beat Warner and then lost to Warner. And, you know, Warner smashed Nicholas. And, you know, so th this weight feels almost a lot like, besides Nickel, feels like there could be a lot of turnover here. And then Kyle Connell or Connell, however you want to say it, uh, didn't wrestle. You and I had spoken about probably actually makes sense, um, you know, and probably would make sense for him not to wrestle Penn State this weekend. You know, I think his best chance is to beat uh, is to beat Bo Nichols to wrestle him one time, not multiple times. That's for sure. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because you know they had multiple duels. He wrestled one match. Um, and it was weird be and then he didn't enter the tournament on the weekend. So it was interesting because, you know, most of the time when you get the releases from schools talking about the matches, they don't really talk about injuries. They don't talk about why guys are out usually. Um, but it actually said in their release that he had limited use of one shoulder, which I don't think the coaching staff is going to be too happy when they realize that got put out there. Uh, but if that's the case, if he's already hurt, which, you know, obviously wasn't at the end of last year, so I'm not sure where that came from. And uh, that's not a good start to the year for him. Uh, I don't think you, I don't think you would ever put him out against 
Bo Nickel is yeah. not a hundred hundred percent. Yes, correct. Like minimum hundred percent, right? Right. But yeah, like maybe hundred percent, and you know, drank some Powerade or Gatorade or Body Armor, whoever wants to sponsor us. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And circling back to the Eric Schultz result, you know, yeah, maybe it's not shocking that he lost that match, but he doesn't give up points. So the fact that anybody puts up double digits on Eric Schultz, that's kind of a wow. Um, that was, it surprised me. I'm not going to say shocking, but it definitely surprised me. And then, yeah, Patrick Brucky, another shout out to Princeton. Obviously they had a great weekend. Um, and I think we all think that program's going in the right direction and they're proving it. So good job by them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so moving up to 285 pounds, uh, we've teased it a couple of times, but I think one of the, and you know, you even said it on the last podcast that you thought Zach Elam was going to wrestle right away and, um, come out of red shirt. And he did that, uh, got a win, uh, another red shirt that we're watching, uh, Mason Paris pinned central Michigan's Matt Stencil in the finals to win the MSU open in 14 seconds. And it was not his first pin in the first minute of a match on the day. He's going to be something to watch, isn't he? Heavyweight, 285 is a super interesting weight this year because the other news was that Gable Stevenson said he's got a red shirt, which is shocking. I'm not even sure I believe that until I see that. When I mean, we all think he's going to win. Um, I just did my podcast with Brian Van Clee from uh, Wynn and Jim Kalen from Amateur Wrestling News, we all picked him. And then Derek White beat Yusuf Anita. Wasn't a big, you know, his number four being number three, but there's a lot of, I mean, this is not a weight with a favorite. Mm-mm. So maybe Mason Paris is good enough to place. Maybe Zach Elam is good enough to place. This is a really interesting weight because you let's say that Dable Stevenson redshirts. In the next couple of years, you're going to have Gable Stevenson, Colton Schultz, Daniel, Daniel Kirkley, Tony Cassiope, um, the, Seth Nevels. I mean, just, and I'm sure I'm missing some guys, but just hammers. Like, maybe it makes sense to get in a match, get in a season now before all those guys turn up. Well, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, you look at the top of this weight and – you know, you're kind of going back, you know, Sam Stoll, okay, Nick Neville's okay. You know, Derek White was around a 12 last year. We think Mason Paris can't go with him, and he's third. You know, Yusuf Hamida, fourth. Jordan Wood, fifth. Like, all those guys are good, but are we sure Mason Paris can't go with those guys? We're not scared, right? No. We're not. You're Mason Paris's coaches. You're not scared. And what's interesting is Mason Paris's decision. You know, we talked about it this way. You know, well, if you – if you know, they pull Pantaleo and down and Luan out of red shirt. That affects Mason Paris. Maybe we should be looking at it and literally just dawn on me as we're talking about it. Maybe Mason Paris's progress is driving this gonna drive this decision. Right. I could see Mason Paris coming out of red shirt and them leaving Pantaleo and not doing Luan if Pantaleo doesn't want to cut. Because I still think that locks them in to a much stronger spot in making the top five and getting those teams falter, you know, finishing third or fourth. And again, you know, if you look at the landscape of it, you certainly can't predict how, you know, who's going to be good. But if somebody said, do you think Colton Schultz is going to be good? Cassiope is going to be good. Uh, Kirkfleet's going to be good. And Gable Stevenson's going to be good. I think you'd get four yeses. Yep. So... You know, I, I think that, and then, and Seth Nevels. So those are five guys. There's only eight All-American spots every year. Right. So if you get a shot at it, when you don't have to wrestle any of those five guys, yeah, it's not ideal you're a true freshman, but you're also a beast. And I'm sure that's the decision Mizzou made, especially after Elam handled Austin Myers. So, you know, that, and, uh, Trent Hilger from Wisconsin had a good weekend too, for sure. Right. Deep gunning, you know, and so he'll come into the rankings. It is really strange at 97 and heavy. Obviously, Nichols a huge favorite, but I mean, there, there's a, there's a lot of 
possible turmoil here, you know, like the turmoil or, you know, those kind of things that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. These are weights where you start to look at, you know, the entire top 25 and whenever all of the double digits, you could make a case that by the end of the year, they're going to be in the top 10. There's parody. And yeah, there's not a huge favorite outside of nickel. You know, there's not a top four, top five type that like we see at the, some of the other weights where you're like, well, they can't, you know, if this guy comes out of red shirt, he's probably not going to get any better than six because those top five are that good. It's, it's not that at either one of those weights. So that's, that'll be interesting to see. Um, I, yeah, I'm still kind of over here just stunned at the whole Gable Stevenson thing. I thought that wasn't even going to be a question. I mean, he beat the guy that would be going for them, Riley Strifle, again this weekend. So I'm not sure what they're waiting on. Here's the thing I don't think people understand. I'm sorry to interrupt, but when you, he's got to be on a full ride, right? So that's 10% of your money. I mean, a little bit more than 10%, like 10 and a fraction of your 9.9. Okay. To just park 10% of your money, when you really believe this guy can score 20 points at the national tournament, you can't use that, that full scholarship for anybody else this whole year. Right. It also extends you now another year that last year where you can't recruit with that money. Right. And then if it takes an Olympic red shirt year, that's another dead year. Yeah. That's... People don't think about that. And that could very well happen. Well, and he could go 18, 19 and red shirt. He could go 19, 20 and Olympic red shirt. And then he could go 2021, 20, 22, you know, 21, 22, 22, 23, Olympic red shirt year again, be there seven years. And this scholarship's tied up for seven years. Yeah. And people go, oh, well, you can give other guys money. Like, you can give other guys money that are on your team, which is nice. Like, you and me get some extra money that year, but we weren't going anywhere. Right. You can't use that money to make your team better. Yeah. Yeah. That's significant, man. That is really significant, and people don't don't think about that. So, you know, I don't know if this is something where the kid is saying this and it's not decided. I mean, I, I don't know the logic behind it. Clearly, they know more than than we do. But just from what I know, managing scholarships and trying to, you know, build a team on the surface, it's a problem. Yeah, well, and I, I'm i looking at the structure of their team, and, like, this is a year they could be – like I think we all thought they would be much improved. They have – you know, they don't have a lot of holes in that lineup, but they do have some upperclassmen. So I'm just a little surprised that it's not all in. And yeah, maybe, you know, maybe he made that comment. Maybe that doesn't turn out to be the case. You know, obviously they don't have to make that decision today, but it's really surprising to hear that, that that's even a consideration. I mean, I understand that he's, you know, that's, he's eligible, but that's really bizarre, especially with his international aspirations and, you know, you outlined two possible other years that he could take Olympic red shirts if, you know, cause there's, he's not going to struggle to qualify for those at all. So yeah, that's, I'm, I'm stunned. I don't even, I don't know what to say about it. That caught me completely off guard. Um, we'll see. Most importantly, I have Minnesota going over 55. Right. And that would, yeah, I'm pretty sure if, uh, if Gable, Red shirts. That's that's that hurts. I'm not saying they can't do it anyway, but that hurts. No, nah, I'm taking the L. <laughs> <laughs> no, it it is truly surprising, man. Like it just it doesn't. Like I said, there's always data that you know that the coaches have that we don't. So you know, I put the caveat caveat on it that we don't know everything clearly. Yeah. But on the surface. It doesn't make sense. Right. I mean, if there was an injury, you wouldn't expect him to be wrestling this week, you know, this weekend, which he did. So, yeah, I'm not sure what it could be. But, yeah, I will I will concede that they're closer to the situation than either one of us. So, uh, that's, <laughs> that'll be an interesting situation to follow. Um, For sure. Another interesting situation to follow, which I did not see coming, is this hands-to-the-face 
and we should point out it's a point of emphasis. The rule has been on the book. This is, uh, you know, they NCAA wrestling changes rules on a two-year cycle, and this is not a year for new rules. So it's just a point of emphasis. And we saw it called, you, you know, and I, I struggle how to put this because on the one hand, I saw it called a fair amount. Um, for those that weren't watching, you know, now if you put your hand in the kind of imaginary triangle of eyes to mouth area to just below the mouth area, there's no warning. You get dinged a penalty point right away. Um, it's basically eyebrows to chin, right? That's the right. triangle you're talking about? Okay. Yeah, it's right in there. Yeah. And so, you know, anybody that's watched NCAA wrestling over the years knows that guys put their hands there all the time, either intentionally or trying to tap the head and the guy moves and they miss. Um, and I saw it called a lot this weekend, but I will say it's still very inconsistent as to who the officials are and what they let get let guys get away with. Um, the fact that there is no warning, the fact that it's called immediately for a point has some people up in arms and I, I tend to agree with them. I'm, I'm not sure this is a good thing, David, what did you make of it? I think it's kind of like pass interference and or holding in football, right? Like you have some officials that call it differently than others and almost everybody calls it tighter in the first quarter than they do in the fourth quarter. So I think you know, they, the, the officials have gone through rules in the past and then realized like it was too hard to overemphasize and people adjust. It was just like everybody thought this 90 degree rule was going to screw everybody up. Well, guys just figured it out. They stopped hanging around in there. So, I mean, I understand some people are upset about it. I understand that people get to break some habits, but it's kind of like in MMA when guys throw these half punches and their fingers are open, they stick fingers in guys' eyes. Like, you know, really good technique doesn't require you to pop somebody right between the eyeballs. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying how it's being handled right now is, is correct. Or, I mean, there's no correct or incorrect that I'm, you know, super happy about it, but I am a fan of anything they can do to change this, the sport to emphasize skill and not just emphasize sort of brutality or tactics. So I know wrestling's a tough sport, you know, so I'm not trying to take anything away from that. But I do think that a lot of those times I've seen guys do that. And I have guys do that to me. I just keep hitting you in the face. And they're, you know, like you said, the referee afterwards, like the guy, the guy wasn't doing anything off. He's just hitting you in the face so you get, you know, pissed off and come out of your stance and do something. But it, it is sometimes it's blatantly illegal, you know, or, you know, at the very least sort of unsportsmanlike conduct. So, um I'm probably not as bothered by it by a lot of guys, but that's, you know, I mean, when I think probably because I've, I've got a chance to wrestle at a higher level than some other guys that, and like when you go up there, guys don't do that to you as much. Right. It's usually just guys that are not as good to do it. Well, so, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, I'm a sport administration wonk. So I kind of look at how the rules should be designed. And to me, we already had remedies for this situation like you're talking about. Uh, we already had, you know, if you're not doing anything about, off of it, there, off any technique, if you're using a technique to stop the action and not score, that's stalling. So we have that rule. If you're poking guys in the eye, we already have unsporting contact, unsporting behavior, and we have, you know, unnecessary roughness. We have that. We can already penalize them for that. So to me, this was just unnecessary. Um, you know, I, I saw it too many times this weekend where a guy would, you know, he's gauging, he's gauging, whatever. And the guy moves and he ends up poking, you know, hitting him in the eye. He wasn't trying to hit him in the eye. He's trying to do something. And yeah, he can change that habit and whatever, but it seems unnecessary. It's kind of like the targeting rule in football. I applaud. That, the that's a great analogy. Yeah. That's a great analogy. I applaud the intent, but when you've got a guy coming over the middle and he's ducking and you're moving and suddenly you hit him in the head when that wasn't your intent, and now you're ejected and all that stuff. You know, we're going to have somebody lose a match this year because a guy moved in a way they didn't expect and they accidentally hit him in the face. So I'm I'm a little upset about that, and I think this was one of those solutions in search of a problem because I don't know who was bothered by the hands to the face last year. I mean, I know Penn State fans didn't like what Rutgers did to him, 
But I got to say what Rutgers did to him was stalling. So that should have been handled in that direction. We didn't need a rule like this. And yeah, the rule was already on the books, but when was the last time you saw it get directly called? Um, I don't remember the last time before this year. I think what they're trying to do, though, look, your points are really well taken and well formulated. I think what they're trying to do is take judgment out of the referee's hands. Like, you know, like you said, like, okay, you're just using that post as a setup, and I duck my, you know, like I raise my head. So instead of you tapping the top of my head, now it's right in my nose, right? Like, and you weren't doing that on purpose. My level changed up into that. Right. Well, that's a judgment call. That's what we're saying. By definition, we just said that's a judgment call. Well, okay. You know, we're trying to take that out because now that's going to be something you can argue. And, you know, now there's going to be a bench warming. And now, you know, it's just, it's a bunch of garbage instead of just going, look, you hit him in the eyes. It's, it's non-negotiable. It is what it is. You know, I do think that when you get to nationals with the good refs, they're not going to decide matches this way. They're going to, put them together and they're just, they'll say, look, you know, they'll call it as a verbal warning to uh, unsportsmanlike conduct or unnecessary roughness. And I think what a good referee says is, look, don't make me decide this match. Right. I don't, I don't want to. Well, and I- you guys know the rules. And if, if you keep doing this and one of you does this and it, it lands the wrong way, I have to call it. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's my problem in general is that they, you know, the ruling from, you know, you watch the rules video and you look at the ruling coming out and they're talking about, you have to call it every time, you know, we're going to be grading you on it. But like you said, by the time we get to the national tournament, our guys really going to call this to decide a match. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants this to decide a match, but now one ref will and one ref won't. And that uncertainty is going to drive me insane. So I hope they figure it out before then, because this that that would be well, the worst possible situation. Yeah, but I think that maybe the goal of this thing is that there's less of those to call. You know, that they get a lot of this habit out of there. And there's a lot of guys that don't do this with the purpose of scoring. Right. They just do it. And so those guys, you know, like if you're a guy like Zahid and you use it to measure distance or you tap once and then the next time, you know, it's a head and heel move. You're not going to stop doing that. But the guy that's just throwing it out there like a jab, that's good that that guy's getting hit. That's good that that guy's thinking about it because he's trying to keep the match, you know, three to two, two to one, two to two. And that's not what any of us want to see. So, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not on the other side of this issue. It's sort of this issue with you, but it's kind of turned into a friendly debate. And I, I think I think what they're trying to do is create better habits. And then at the end of the year, you're right. Maybe they shouldn't do this, but we, we all know this happens. Like you you watch the NBA and they call ticky tack towels to the first three quarters in the fourth quarter, you know, you can get mugged and it's let them play. I think it'll be a lot of that. And, you know, in general, I would be okay with that because, you know, like we've said a million times, this is the time of year to call that stuff and, you know, try to get rid of the stuff we don't want in the sport, which, yeah, you know, intentionally hitting the guy in the face over and over again with no no intent other than to slow the match down is not anything we want. So if it gets rid of that, great. I'm just, you remember that year when we had no reaction time takedowns and it was insanity. Like I have a feeling this year is going to be kind of like that where it's like, Oh, Hey, that guy got three penalty points because the guy kept hitting him in the eyes. And then at national tournament, no, they don't call it at all. So I, I don't know. I don't like it. Uh, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it, right? It's, it's... Guys always coach to and always wrestle to the rules. And, you know, the interesting thing about this, it's kind of like pass interference where, you know, the guy's going to get a little bit of jersey and see. And so, you know, guys are going to test. And, you know, they get called like, you know, if you see it the first round of nationals, like they're calling it tight. Honestly, you'll just see it probably go away. Right. And I'm not sure anybody should be against it just going away. I would be fine if it goes away. I just, I have a feel just because of the way NCAA wrestling is called, and this is not an indictment of anyone, of the rules or the officials or anything, just because of the the way we have it spread across the country, I feel like there's going to be inconsistency. And that is the worst. That's the worst result. 
consistency either way is good. Inconsistency is not what we want. So yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent, man. So uh, I think we're about done wrapping up. I uh, wanted to send a shout out to North Dakota state for upset Northwestern. That was probably the biggest dual team result of the weekend. Um, you got anything else, David? Hope everybody voted today. I don't care who you voted for. It's one of our, our great privileges of being in this country. Hope everybody did it. And I'll be out probably at the, uh, I think they call it the Kaufman brand open with the uh, Maryville open here in St. Louis this weekend. So shout out to all those guys wrestling there. Very cool. I voted and I do care who you voted for, but I'm not going to get into that on this podcast. So even better. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, people until next week, this is Alex Steen signing off.